College 101. A first-gen guide. Hey everyone, welcome to College 101, a first-gen guide. My name is Melissa and this is a segment where we talk about first-generation students' experiences in college. Our goal is to, if there's any common experiences first-generational students go through, and how we can uplift first-generation students in higher institutions. Tune in, we will be having interviews with, obviously, first-generation students, either currently in college or already graduate. In this episode, we'll be talking about, obviously, first-generation students, but specifically also a lot of students who are DACA recipients as well. So if you're not aware what DACA means, it's so it's a program that's kind of catered that's kind of labeled deferred action for childhood arrivals. And this is for people who come as like children to the United States. This also grants grants them work authorization, but also protection from deportation. So in this case, a lot of students who are who are also DACA recipients are probably are also college students as well. And I just wanted to tackle also like this type, this topic of like being a first generation student, but also having like, like an additional thing, you know, as well, like, obviously, like a first generation student's experience is kind of very unique to others as that they don't really have like a concrete support group. And also it's their first time without help, like navigating like these higher education. I feel like also being like a DACA recipient is a very unique experience because it also changes a lot of the aspects and how you kind of how you experience like university college or whatever so like kind of to kind of explain what DACA recipients are like what series or what like I guess expectations it is so to be like a DACA recipient you have like to meet a certain um, series of like strict criteria like you obviously have to pass the next like a background check and something that's like interesting I guess is like they kind of have to renew their application every two years to remain in the program and this obviously grants them from deportation but there's also cases where people have been deported even if they were prior DACA recipients I guess this this is also very personal like I, I come from like a like a like a Latino community so a lot of people are actually undocumented but this is also like a wide range because a lot of like a lot of DACA recipients aren't necessarily like from like a certain ethnicity or like culture group. Like it's very it it ranges. Like there's a lot of people who are DACA recipients, and I guess a certain criteria for a lot of people who are you have to be I think bef- before June 15, 2012, to kind of qualify for being a DACA recipient. The onset rules is that if you're under 31 years old as of like June 15, 2012. And that you would have to be before June 15, 2007 until present would be considered for an application. And a lot of the people they choose is like people who are currently like working to get either the high school degree or their GED equivalent. Or if you've been like either part of the military. But yeah, like I kind of like, I guess my personal views on it, like I really feel like a lot of the situation where like a lot of DACA recipients are in is extremely unfair just because I guess my personal view like I don't really believe in in strict immigration like I'm pretty I think I'm probably like open borders I also don't believe like your documentation like your your immigration status should really prevent you from getting a high like an education I feel like that's extremely unfair and 
and i feel like it's also very prevalent to a lot of people in the united states but yeah like like daca renewals as well they're extremely expensive they are extremely stressful and especially like i guess especially with a lot of our current political climate like it's very stressful for a person who is a daca recipient when it comes to the issues of immigration because because like for example like during the trump administration like how stressful it was like, how he, like, kind of threatened to order the end of the program in 2017. But, you know, like, obviously court cases kept it kind of revived. But also, like, I guess with our current presidency with Joe Biden, like, how he's issued, like, a certain action to preserve and fortify, like, DACA. I guess it's just, like, a very, in my opinion, it's a very, like, a stressful experience for a lot of, like, DACA recipients just because, I guess, every presidency kind of determines, like, your likelihood in this country or... I guess you're you're likely here for any like opportunity not necessarily because and I feel like a lot of like in the application process like a lot of students are labeled as international just because if they're born in another country and they don't obviously they're not citizens here then it, they don't receive the certain benefits like how we're going to talk in the interview also how like FAFSA doesn't really work for a lot of people who aren't documented because they won't receive obviously any government aid and I feel like that's extremely unfair because it sets back people who are actually willing to you know kind of go to college and also who aspire to who also obtain to get higher education and that being like a degree going on to that topic I interviewed a student called Daniel and they're currently attending DePaul and University and also providing us their experience as a first-generation student and a DACA recipient. My name is Daniel Martinez. I currently go to Paul University. My major is Latino Studies, and I was born in Mexico City, but I have lived in Chicago for most of my life. And, like, if you feel comfortable, like, can you, like, tell me your immigration status? I currently am a DACA recipient. I came to the United States as a little kid. And, well, I'm kind of glad that the DACA program came out around a little bit before high school for me. And I guess my next question would be, like, what does it mean for you to be a DACA student? I think for me personally, being a DACA student meant it meant being somewhere I wasn't necessarily supposed to be mostly because at the start of the college process I felt like everything I heard all the information that I was getting told to me was very much like it was very much up to me to figure out how I was going to navigate the college process my high school counselor like kind of sat me down and asked me so how does this work for you and I very much kind of expected them to know and so it was more of oh, okay so I'm gonna have to do my research and look up stuff and then some colleges in particular aren't very open about the application status in terms of uh, DACA students aren't necessarily either in-state out-of-state sometimes they just get thrown into international student status which is absolutely horrible some colleges aren't very clear with that until you start the application process and then they ask you for essentially a bank account and then also something that shows that you can cover three years of full tuition in case something happens to you i feel like that's what it meant for me but it also just means like having to figure out how to navigate all these spaces not maybe not necessarily on your own but oftentimes with like limited information so yeah obviously if you were having a difficult time like applying to colleges like how did you overcome that 
How did you research? How how did you get help? One of my dad's friend's daughter was a DACA recipient and kind of helped me navigate a bit in terms of like towards Loyola. But it was realistically a lot of going on the internet. Specifically, there is a DACA Reddit page that did list a good amount of resources in terms of what colleges are safe and stuff like that. Well, not necessarily safe, but are more open with both the application process, but also like, oh, we do want you here. For me, I felt mostly like, uh, like I wasn't sure. And for, for DePaul, it's a funny story. When I applied, they originally also had me flagged as an international student because I have a social security number, but it doesn't bounce towards anything. So when you put that in, the application just thinks you're like an international student. So I hadn't heard back from them and the May 1st deadline was approaching. And so my counselor like just sat me down and asked me, did you actually apply? If you did, we're going to call them right now. We called them right now. And they're just like, oh, we're waiting on his banking information uh, because, you know, he's an international student. So we're just trying to make sure that all the paperwork's in. With that meeting in my, with my counselor, the person from the hiring, or not the hiring, from the application office at DePaul asked if I was there and then very much, hey, if you feel comfortable answering this, can I ask about your immigration status? And then I said, oh, well, I, I'm a dreamer. I'm a DACA recipient. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll let you know about the application decision in a week. So it, it was just stuff like that, but it was very much just trial and error and also l looking for as much information online as possible. And I guess like my other question would also be like when you actually entered college, so guessing DePaul, like how was your experience? How was your first day of school? Like was it, I guess, a different environment where that you encountered? I believe it was it was very different from from high school in general, mostly because now it, it does make a lot more sense. High school is very structured. It's very rigid. You have a schedule. You have people watching over you for those eight to 10 hours that you're there. In college, it was very much so of you could show up to class. You could not show up to class. I could care less. There's 30 kids in this class. I'm going to teach this class. Um, And it was very much this shift of responsibility towards you. I wasn't expecting to have to, or I wasn't prepared to have to navigate my own schedule and stuff like that. Um, the environment was very different, mostly because I hadn't really navigated DePaul before the first day of classes outside of like the small, the tour on orientation. So it was very much still got there early. I was running around the Lincoln Park campus trying to figure out where my classes were. And then it's also DePaul does some discover classes or explore classes. I don't remember which is which off the top of my head, but one of them is more for out of state or out of the city students that allows them to navigate Chicago for a week before school starts. And then the other class is more of just learning about Chicago since you're going to be here for four years and I took a class that was uh, focused on Latino writers in Chicago. I, I felt I was very much in a place where I wanted to be because I found a decently sized group of Latinos 
and I felt like I, I, I fit in. So that was one of my high points in my first day, but it was also just navigating a completely new world for me as well. And I guess like answering more into like, I guess the whole DACA thing is like, in your opinion, like what are some struggles DACA students encounter like in comparison to other like students who aren't DACA recipients? It boils down a lot to information and resources because when I did talk to some people, they let me know that before that DePaul used to have a couple more resources, but then the whole Trump administration happened and people were a bit more reluctant. And then it's also just before there, there wasn't that much information on the internet of what is accessible, what isn't accessible. You had to go hunt it down. And then it also felt like there was this responsibility of also making sure to spread the word within small internet communities of resources that are available. I think for me personally, because I'm very forgetful, it's maintaining reminders of your of renewing your DACA. Because right now that I'm employed by DePaul, I, I need to renew my DACA soon because it also affects my work status at DePaul because they have the employment authorization document on hand and it expires this year and so they're just they've been double checking just to see that I've started that process so it's very much just I feel like a different experience in terms of having to worry about stuff like that I know at the back of my head I've worried about putting myself in a situation where I would get stopped by the police so I was very wary about going out and making too many dumb choices in a night because for other people, it might just be like, oh, you spend a night, but once that report's written for me very much so, I think I, I, I just treat it as a one strike policy, one strike and you're already out. And then I think also, I feel like in terms of opening up and talking about your experience, it's very much a double-edged sword where you'll find people that support you, but then you'll also find people that question what you have to say and very much so you know if you don't like it you don't have to be here yeah and I guess my other question would be as well like do you feel like you have support and like university for being like a DACA recipient like a dreamer there's a there's a good amount of support there's a good amount of resources that are available to me I think that for me just that interaction when I was applying where the applications officer was very much so like, oh, you're, you're a DACA recipient? Okay, my bad. That was, that was an issue on our side. We'll let you know our decision in a, a couple of weeks. That very much showed me they have dealt with this. They understand it. They're not completely blind to this kind of situation. And they also are open to it. Their support from different groups. There was a bit of and it may not be for everyone but there was a bit of political movement in regards to this within different groups at DePaul I think overall I was lucky enough to come to a campus where I do feel welcomed and I do feel that there's a good amount of resources if you find that there is a good amount of like resources in your university like is it like easy for you to communicate with like and like I don't know faculty about like your status either like professors or like people who are more in charge of like logistics of it? I think it 
very much depends on a case-by-case situation, mostly because professors can definitely range for your general education classes. At least with my academic advisor, I'm pretty open with it, specifically with Latino studies professors. I do talk about it a bit more, but I will say that I'm still very worried or wary of just like announcing it all the time. I feel like even with how much we've progressed, it's still good in this day and age to be a bit more safe. And I guess my other question would also be like, what are some things you would tell incoming DACA students? Communication is honestly your best friend. Communicate with, specifically for the pod, say communicate with the the Paul Central who are in charge of all the financial stuff because they can very much help you with finding resources. Communicate with your advisor, but then this also goes by a case by case because I have heard some stories about some advisors, but I'd say communicate with your advisor. I think as long as you maintain that communication and also just ask around with people you feel comfortable, you'll be able to find the resources, or if not, they'll be able to point you towards someone who might be able to help you out more. But I do think that communication is very important. That and also just navigating and trying to find resources. It, it sucks, but I feel like it's kind of the only way to do it sometimes. And I guess now to like start wrapping up more, like what are your thoughts about how, in general, how the U.S. treats streamers? We are very much sort of seen and painted as a charity case, but also like for the lack of a better expression, like that one Latino friend where they can just point to and be like, oh, no, we aren't necessarily that horrible towards this community. Look at what we've done for this very isolated and specific group. I feel that there is a lot more that the United States could do if they really wanted to. I am thankful for the small steps that we've taken, but like everything else, I feel like they're taking their time. And a last question, like what do you personally hope to see in the future for DACA recipients? I hope that they extend the range first most. I feel like there is still a good amount of people that didn't necessarily fall into the range would benefit and put it to more use than I have. I'm I'm not completely sure if they still accept new applications. So just accepting more applications and very much so a path to citizenship that isn't convoluted and complex and sort of a 10 to 20 year plan that and also just more more transparency in both the workspace application processes and just higher education. And welcome back. 
I hope you enjoyed this interview. I thought it was really good. But going on to the topic about how like a DACA recipient and how it kind of how it also changes when you're also applying to school and how how difficult the process is. It's definitely kind of discouraging. But at the same time, I feel like don't give up, you know, but I also wanted to share some information. Like if you're from Illinois and from Chicago and are like a DACA recipient, then I guess I recommend these scholarships to apply because because I feel like they helpful. So Illinois does provide some scholarships for undocumented students that either being your fear DACA recipient or just I guess the term what they call dreamers but nonetheless if you're an undocumented student there are some scholarships for you and I would recommend applying to them because it's free money you know but I know Illinois does offer like a special one called Illinois Dream Fund scholarships where you know you get granted there's also the Dream U.S. National at opportunity scholarships um the golden apple foundation for a lot of people who want to be teachers i feel like that's really helpful and you know apply to it there's also the dreamers who need those scholarships and that unless it provides i feel like that one's very helpful i mean it's free money in general um la fiesta de solo scholarship is really good and those and there's also another scholarship called dreamers and allies run scholarship but these are just a few scholarships that i kind of like would say they're kind of like safe to apply that i would say i would recommend just because they cater specifically for a lot of undocumented student the fact that either you're an undocumented student shouldn't really set you back from like going to college and wanting to kind of learn you know but nonetheless i really hope you enjoyed this interview and the whole segment as well this was college 101 a first gen guide and i am your host melissa and stay tuned for other episodes college 101 a first gen guide